God is indeed great. And it's his breath, it's his spirit that fills our lungs so we can praise him. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, a very good morning to you all. Uh, good morning to those of you catching this online and the rest of us gathered here. May the Lord's blessing be upon all of us. My name is Deji and I'm privileged to be a worshipper here at St. John's. Our psalm for today is Psalm 95. You, there's some Bibles coming down the aisle. You can use your Bible app, that's cool. However you want to access it, but do please follow along. Psalm 95, if you're using the Bibles from the church, it's page 602. Let me read Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you would only hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Wow, powerful words at the end there. Let me start with a prayer. I think we need a prayer. <laughs> Loving God, we thank you for the Psalms, a songbook brimming full of your word and your wisdom. However difficult we find them, help us now in our reading of it. Let it become the songbook of our lives for all of our days. Holy Spirit, come. Come upon us as we continue in worship and speak your life-changing truth into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, Psalm 95, we've just read it. We're presented 
with two contrasting people groups. Sharply contrasting. It seems the world can be divided into those who, on the one hand, oppose God. They stand in opposition to God. And then on the other hand, you have the community of worshippers, those who love the living God. So we're going to look at both this morning, and we're going to ask ourselves, which are we? Or better yet, which do we aspire to be? The answer seems obvious. But we'll also have to dig a bit deeper into what that obvious choice looks like. Uh, many years ago, I, uh, I was once asked the question, Dej, who are you? And you know what? I, I, I struggled to give anything remotely satisfactory in my mind. The question appears to be a simple one. But how should someone who belongs to the fellowship of believers respond when you're asked, who are you? Is there an adequate Christian response? Because I don't know about you, generally when I'm asked that question, once I've given my name, I just end up falling back on the usual two areas, right? I will tell you who I love. So I start listing my relationships. Oh, hi, I'm Deji, I'm married to Helen, I'm father to so-and-so. Yeah. Our parents, our friends, our spouses, who we love. And when that doesn't get me quite there, I say, well, I fall back on what I do, my current occupation. You might find yourself, you go, hi, uh, I'm a teacher, I'm a homemaker, I'm a police officer. I think it's because these areas help us to fill in a picture that helps people see more of what we're about and who we are. Because otherwise, it is a very unnerving question. Who are you? Well, who are we at St. John's? That's a question that I think our psalm forces us to look at. It helps us get started exploring the question both as individuals, but perhaps more importantly as a gathered community. Like I said, it presents us with two groups of people, two choices. Let me describe group one. Let's get that one out of the way. Group one goes like this. They are folks with a hardened heart. That word hardened, I'm not going to say the Hebrew because my Hebrew isn't all there, but the Hebrew refers to strength, durability, toughness. Now, isn't this something in our day that we count to be a positive? Tough people don't get hurt. They stick through things. They win in the end. But the way it's used in Scripture, that hardening has now become extreme something heavy and dense, something impenetrable, something unyielding. I don't know if you've met people like this, people who are locked down in their views, supremely confident in the security 
of the rules that they understand, never mind anyone else. They're confident in their own defenses. They're letting no one in. There is no give with these folks, no graciousness. It's their way or the highway. You see, whether intentional or not, that's also their stance with God. We know it's their stance with us, their neighbor. Here's the kicker. I wish I could say that this posture only exists outside the church, outside of me. As we read on, we find that these people are not loyal in their affections. The verse says, their hearts have gone astray. We're reading in verses 8 to 11 here. Their hearts have gone astray. They mistrust God. They're always putting God on trial, testing God, even though he has proven himself over and over. Like Jonah, they suspect his love. They don't want to share it. Like those who built the tower at Babel, they set up a Babylon in opposition to the kingdom of God. They are a fickle people who have never learned God's ways, we're told. And therefore, they can never enter his shalom, his rest. This is the sticky, uncomfortable bit. I promise it gets better. But scripture has a way of doing that, holding up that mirror to us. So we're forced to see that thing we really want to hide from. But let's not be downhearted. Let's look at group two. It tells us how true worshipers are described. And here I'm reading mainly from verses one to seven, but a bit all over as well. <clears throat> we discover a people who have things to be thankful for. And crucially, they know who to be thankful to. Mary led us earlier and asked us, what are we grateful for? It's easy to go through life, everything's great, and you forget to be thankful. Worse, we forget who to be thankful to. So, true worshipers, are thankful people, and therefore their joy is uninhibited as they sing loudly and they shout to the Lord. Now, a personal aside, I'm not the most extroverted of persons, so the whole singing with hands up and waving flags and everything, it doesn't come naturally to me. But I'm a, a sports fan, so let me give you a sports illustration. Right, recently we've had l a lot of sports on television. The women Euros, whoop whoop, the girls, yeah, fantastic. The Commonwealth Games, even the Premiership football started a couple of days ago. In these areas, it's perfectly fine for people to sing shout and chant and jump up and down 
They're not required to. But you know what? Something happens when you believe something great is going on. It's not a requirement. It's just sometimes how we react. Before you know it, you're up because you're filled with joy. You're ecstatic about what's going on. Before you know it, your top is off and you're running around waving it over your head. Okay, perhaps not in church. <laughs> I'll end the sports bit here. But it shows us a glimpse of the joy that a true worshiper feels. What else about this community of worshippers? Also, they trust in God because they recognize the rock of their salvation. Jesus. Mike reminded us last Sunday in his sermon that we are to read the Psalms with Christ in mind. Also notice about this group of people, there is nothing that the psalm says about their own innate righteousness. Nothing, not a peep. The psalmist doesn't describe them as good, never mind perfect. So we are worshipers, we're not perfect people. As we read on therefore, we see that there are people of humility, a people who find peace, even in their failures, a people who find it fitting to kneel and bow down to the Lord, a people willing to submit their hearts to their maker. Their very soul rejoices in the majesty and greatness of God. We have just been singing about it. Great are you, Lord. Here there is no challenge to God's will like the folks at Babylon. We, the people, the worshipping people, are ready to define ourselves as his, his flock. He will be our shepherd then. These people know God's care. They share that care with others. And they delight to worship in his presence. Now, this group of people could not be more different than group one, right? completely different posture. Did you notice as well how for these people, their worship naturally turns outwards to include others? Come, it says, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Not solitary, beckoning others in. Come, let us bow down in worship. It's not enough to do it by ourselves. So unlike group one, who are hard-hearted, secure in their fortresses, they've locked everyone out. True worshipers aren't like that. They invite others in. I'll admit, it's a vulnerable way to be but it's one that's filled with joy and completeness. So back to the original question, which of the two groups would we rather be? Which do we aspire to? 
the Apostle Paul writes this in uh, Ephesians 5. He says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So spoiler alert, of course we want to be the worshiping group. We want, we want to be group two. We want to be worshiping in the name of Jesus because he is the rock of our salvation. Do you remember uh, around about 2018, uh, a group of boys in Thailand, they got trapped in a flooded cave system. There was even an international rescue mission. And after about two weeks, was it? Two weeks, they were found alive on an elevated rock. That's why they could be saved. On their rock. Imagine the elation of being rescued from such a place of darkness and hopelessness. That might start to give you yet another clue about what it feels like to experience the joy of the true worshiper. All because Jesus is our rock. And it's in Jesus that we find the perfect example of a life lived in worship, loving worship. Jesus the Son is in lockstep with the Father, always. Even at Gethsemane, when he knows he's headed for crucifixion, locks with the Father. Again and again, the Gospels show us that Christ's gaze is ever upwards, upwards to heaven, so that whatever he does glorifies God. All of it, the amazing teaching, the wondrous signs, the miracles, all of it. His whole life was set aside, his very body given. What are you willing to set aside? You might be thinking, steady on edge. Surely you can't expect the same from us. Jesus was, after all, Jesus, Jesus, Son of God. But you know what? I, I think this is precisely the journey we're meant to be on, to become more and more like our Savior. Is your gaze upwards? Are you prepared to pick up your cross and follow Christ? To be clear, it's unlikely that given where we live, you will be required to put your body on the line. But can you set aside your ego? Can you hold back from judging others harshly? See, Jesus knew that those who opposed him were wrong, but he loved them the same. Even as they killed him, and this blows my mind, he glorified the Father with his life and loved them still. Can you set aside your disagreements and love 
others despite them. Can you, like Jesus, glorify God with your life? We're getting nearer now to the heart of what true worship means. It is more than the songs we will sing. I love them, but it is more. It's the state of our hearts and our minds. It's a state that doesn't stop when the service ends. Mary was imploring us earlier, when we leave here, don't let that stop. A state that doesn't stop when the music fades, but it's at the very core of who we are. That's what we aspire to be. Jesus met um, the Samaritan woman. It's a story in Luke, I believe. She wasn't Jewish like Jesus. Their peoples saw each other as very different. They didn't worship at the same temple. They didn't follow the same rules. Yet, Jesus said these words to her. In John 4, Believe me, Jesus says, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, the temple. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, the Jews, worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And this is the key bit. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. And why? Because they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Let that sink in for a second. They are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks, those who worship in spirit and in truth. Friends, yes, we want to be group two people, but we mustn't ever forget that once upon a time we were in group one. Shedding all our group one habits might not happen overnight. So let's be patient with ourselves. Let's be patient with one another. The key thing to remember is that the Father wants true worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. I hope you start to see now how true worship is opening up your whole life in, an, in a humble attitude to the Lord. Yes, bring your good bits, you know, bring your five loaves and fishes, and he will feed the 5,000. But if you're different, like the Samaritans, or if, like some of us, you're still a work in progress, you know what? Bring your less palatable bits as well. Yes, even those bits that we hide as though God doesn't see. Bring it all and place it before Christ, our rock. Confess it and leave it there. To all who come with softened hearts, God's mercies are new every single morning, and they are freely offered. His spirit is calling, if you would only hear his voice. Our psalm says, today, if you would only hear his voice. He is calling today. You can stay in the cave, 
or look up to Jesus. Jesus, who's no longer on the cross, but seated on high at the right hand of the Father. It's not easy. It takes humility to move from one who opposes God to one who worships him. It takes honesty and bravery too to reach out, to feel for God's finger in the dark and find yourself found by him. Let us pray. O oh God of love, our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Christ, our rock of salvation. We thank you for your greatness and the mercy you have shown us. Grant us a heart of praise so that even when it's hard to find the words, we continue to sing your praise. Lord, fill us with your spirit so that we may learn how to love you with our whole lives. Let that be our true worship that pleases you. For the sake of your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.